0: Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we approach the study of your word, we do so in Jesus' precious and holy name. Thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost. Thank you for ears that are anointed to hear, hearts to receive, minds that are open to receive the truth that liberates and sets free. Change us by your word from glory to glory. Conform us to the image of Jesus that we might carry out the purpose of your will upon this earth, glorifying you in all that we think, say, and do. And, Father, we'll give you all the praise for everything that's accomplished in and through our lives. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I want to share with you this evening about three spiritual laws. I shared a little bit about this at one of our healing classes. And it's just in my heart to, to share with you this evening for the rest of you to hear. I believe it's important truths. But before we even get into that, it's just been on my heart from Romans chapter 5 how the Apostle Paul speaks and tells us by the spirit that God introduced his love to us and toward us by sending his son to die for us while we were yet sinners. He went on to say that by one man's transgression or offense that death entered into this realm in which we live. Sin, death, sickness, disease, heartache, pain, misery, all those things came in. And as a result of this one man's transgression, everybody's suffering as a result of it, including all of creation, cries out and groans out as a result of one man's decision to disobey God. So death reigned from Adam to Moses, unhindered, destructive, destroying everything in its path. But then he goes on to say, but then as so was the offense, so was the gift of righteousness. By one man, Jesus he abolished death and brought life and immortality to life, to the gospel. By one man's obedience, everyone is declared or can be declared righteous. In the mind of God, everybody is declared righteous. It's up to us to accept it. So here's my question to us tonight. What's greater, death or life? Satan or Jesus? Amen. So death may have reigned before Christ. But now you and I are in Christ. So the work that God does through Christ should be greater than the work that Satan did through Adam in the fall. He goes on to say in that same cha- chapter 5 of Romans, in verse 17, that we are to reign in life by one Christ Jesus. We're to reign in life, kings reign. Exercise authority and dominion in this life by one Christ Jesus. Rule over the circumstances of our lives by one Christ Jesus. Jesus said, I came to give you life and that more abundantly. Now, the devil had a different plan. He came to kill, steal, and destroy. But I came to give you life and that more abundantly. And life is greater than death. Righteousness is greater than unrighteousness. Good is greater than evil. Amen? Praise God. Peace is superior to sorrow. Thanks be to God who always gives us the victory. How? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And what's the victory that overcomes this world that we live in? Even our faith. By faith, we overcome the world. You see how important faith is? If not, the world will run all over you. The devil will. The flesh will. But by faith, we're more than conquerors through him that loves us. Amen. I'm going to talk to you about these three spiritual laws. First of all, when Jesus lived on earth... He did some amazing things. Wouldn't you agree? You read the gospels? You see what he did? He operated in certain laws. I think that mankind doesn't know about. Think about the things that he did. When he walked on this earth. He spoke and gave commands. And the wind obeyed him. The waves obeyed him. The seas obeyed him. Right? He turned water into wine. Think about that. He multiplied food. He spoke and a fish brought tax money. Wouldn't that be nice? Go fishing. Pull out the coin and pay the taxes. Think about that. He healed the sick, cast out devils, even raised the dead, and the list goes on and on. Would you agree with me that Jesus tapped into some certain laws that mankind knows nothing about? He walked on water. Tell me, scientist, how is that done? They wouldn't have an answer for that. No way. Well, I believe spiritual laws are no different than natural laws. Natural laws that, are, that govern this world that we live in, the natural world that we live in, are genuine laws. Right? We know there's the law of gravity. It works whether you believe it or not. Whether you think it does or not. Whether you feel like it does or not. Doesn't matter. It's a law. Aerodynamics. That's a law. And the list goes on and on. There are different laws. Well there are certain laws that operate in the spiritual realm. And they're just as binding as any natural law. In this realm in which we live. And Jesus shared a few of those laws. And I believe it would behoove all of us to take heed so that we can learn from the master teacher as he begins to reveal to us these specific laws. And they're found in Matthew 18 beginning at verse 18. And the first law that he taught, one of the first laws, is the law of binding and loosing. Verily I say unto you whatsoever you shall bind. No, whatsoever you shall bind. On earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Did you know that binding and loosing is a spiritual law? And every one of us has been told that we can use it to our benefit. Notice, whatsoever you shall bind. Now to bind actually means to shackle, to handcuff. To lose means to release or unshackle or set free. So what Jesus is saying. You've got the power. To shackle the work of the enemy. And to release or loose people that are bound by his powers. You can actually bind the hand of the enemy. Or handcuff the work of the enemy. That's operating in your life. And release yourself from those powers. And allow God to have his way. It's up to the individual, in other words, to begin to operate in that law, binding and loosing. Why? So that the will of God and the work of God can be done in our lives. Now, when he said, verily I say unto you, he is saying decidedly. He is saying truthfully. He is saying, I'm telling you something that's an absolute fact. And remember, we just talked about facts, faith, and feelings. This is a fact. This works. It's a spiritual law that operates. And if you will tap into it and apply it to your life, it'll work to your own benefit. And also, it will help you benefit others. So it's something that you can trust in, rely on, and depend on. He's not making it up. And once again, if someone can raise someone from the dead whose body is decaying, he's got my attention if someone can walk on water he's got my attention if someone can say peace be still in a storm instantly is stopped he's got my attention he knows something I don't know amen think about it now he says what you bind will be bound and what you loose will be loose look in the book of Luke oh, no, before I go there look at the Matthew scripture there too because he repeat, he says this he repeats this must be important if he repeated it he says this to peter and i say also unto thee that thou art peter and upon this rock will i build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it and i will give unto you the keys keys stand for authority of the kingdom of heaven and whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven So in other words, he is saying, heaven will back you up. If you dare with boldness step up and step out and begin to bind the work of the enemy and loose or set people free or release the power of God to operate in the situation, he says, heaven will back you up. Heaven will stand behind it. That's good to know, isn't it? You're not stepping out in darkness. You're not stepping out on your own. You're applying a biblical principle and a law, praise God, That works. Now look at Luke because we see it here. Illustrated for us in the life of Jesus. In Luke chapter 13 first verse 12. This is the woman that had a spirit of infirmity. She was bound over for all these 18 years. Now when Jesus saw her he called her to him. And said to her woman you are what? Loosed. You are loosed. You are released. You're unshackled. Unhandcuffed. Of your infirmity. You're loosed. You're released. The religious people didn't like that. Go on down to verse 16. Look what Jesus said. Oh, they called him on it. You did this on the Sabbath day and all that. You think they would marvel at the very law that was in operation. You think they would marvel in the fact that this woman bowed over. You ever see someone? She was bowed over for 18 years and could no wise lift up herself. What a horrible place to be in. She's released and I'm sure praising God. And the Pharisees are upset. Because it happened on the Sabbath day. They criticized him. He called them hypocrites. He says. Ought not this woman. After telling them. You release your ox. You go. On the Sabbath day. You give them something to drink. Or if a, a lamb falls. You, you, uh, in, into a pit. You pull them out on the Sabbath day. How hypocritical are you? Ought not this woman being a what? Daughter of Abraham. Whom Satan hath what? bound, handcuffed, shackled with a spirit of infirmity, rheumatoid arthritis, these 18 years be what? Loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. Ought not she be loosed and released, delivered and set free? And the answer to that is yes. But notice the fact that she's a daughter of Abraham means it's a covenant right that she has. She has a covenant right to be free. And she ought to be free. And so Jesus demonstrated this law of binding and loosing. He released her of the bond. And that word bond, it's an infirmity. It's a disability. It's an impediment. So she was bound with, we believe, rheumatoid arthritis. And he just loosed her. What an amazing thing. But it shouldn't surprise us. He understood the laws that allowed him to walk on water. To override the law of supply and demand. Can you imagine feeding 5,000 with a little boy's lunch? He knew how to turn water into wine. Does that impress you? It should. To speak to the oceans and it obeys him. Well, why not? He created it. See, there's no problem believing he can do it. The problem is he told us to do it. I'm telling you, whosoever, and that's you, and that's me, we can speak a command, and that command, as it goes forth in faith, will either bind the work of Satan, I'll be honest with you, or possibly loose the work of Satan. You realize we're sometimes our own worst enemy by speaking out things that bind ourselves? Didn't the Bible say in Proverbs that you're snared by the words of your mouth? You're taken captive by the words of your mouth. Do we not recognize the law, and I'll get into this maybe first of the year, that what you confess you possess? If you say you can't do it, you're not going to get the job done. If you say you can't enter into the promised land because of the walls and the giants, you're not going to enter in. Because God said, you speak in my ears, that's what I'm going to do to you. But if you say, I know it doesn't look like it. I know it doesn't feel like it. I know it doesn't sound like it. I'm telling you, but I I believe that the God I serve is bigger than the problem that I'm facing. He's greater in me. He is more than enough to put me over. So devil, I bind your activities in Jesus name. I bind your powers from my life in Jesus name. I am set free. I release the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit in my spirit who raised Jesus from the dead to quicken my body and give it life. When you start believing that, acting like that, talking like that, praise God, you're setting in motion some spiritual laws that are bless your heart. Now, Jesus gave us the right to use his name to bind and loose. You realize that? He gave us the right to do what? Bind the works of Satan and also set people free. Now, I want you to to, listen to these testimonies. You've heard me talk about Smith Wigglesworth many times before. Maybe some of you haven't, never heard of his name. But I want to read to you, I just found these as I, as I was doing some studying. Listen to these testimonies of binding and loosing as they come from the life of Smith Wigglesworth, who was an amazing man of faith, just amazing. So many miracles took place under his ministry. It's, it's beyond anything you can imagine. Just a quick one. He told a guy that had just clubs for f- stubs, no, no feet. And he saw him in his uh, apartment where he was, or hotel room I think it was where he was staying. He's about to leave a Crusade. He said, Brother Wigglesworth, you didn't do anything about my, my my condition here. He told the guy, go buy yourself a pair of shoes. And the guy went to town, sat down, the clerk went to wait on him. He saw just wooden stubs. He didn't have any feet. He said, what size do you want? He "Size. I don't know. I never thought about it, but maybe size nine, nine sounds good. Got a pair of size nine shoes. He goes and put one on the one stub, it became a foot. How would you like to be the clerk on that day? Honey, what happened with you today? How was work today? <laughs> Do you really want to know? He put on the other one, it became a foot. Creative miracles took place in that man's ministry. Very gruff person. Very rough person. Matter of fact, the way he got healed was somebody punched him in the stomach when he had, he had a appendicitis and he would never go see a doctor. And he was going to die. He was lying on his bed. And this woman came who was a a prayer warrior. And she brought her, I think it was her son. And jumped on top of him. The boy jumped out and punched him in the side. And said, come out in Jesus name. And of course at first Wigglesworth was offended. Thinking that this kid's saying I have a devil. He said, but he was instantly healed of appendicitis. So he was introduced to the ministry of healing by being punched in the side. And then he adopted the same kind of <laughs> ministry one guy came up on the platform in crutches it happened to be the second time he came in line and he said to him weren't you here last night he said yeah now he had I think he had a broken leg or whatever the leg it was on crutches he said get your kicked him from behind knocked him off the platform about high like this he went flying with his crutches off and landed on the floor healed completely he said get your unbelief out of here He would punch people in the stomach if they had tumors. And someone says, why do you do that? He goes, I'm not punching her, I'm punching the devil. And they'd get healed instantly. You need a disclaimer when you minister like that. (laughs) Warning. (laughs) I'll tell you what, you better know it's God if you do something like that. Can you say amen? But listen to his testimony of binding and loosing. A man came to me at one time brought by a little woman. I said, and this is his speech. What's up with him? She said, he gets situations, but he falls every time. He's a slave to alcohol and nicotine poison. He's a bright, intelligent man in most things, but he goes under those two things. I was reminded of the words of the master, giving us power to bind and loose. I told him to put out his tongue in the name of Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. I cast out the evil powers that gave him the taste for these things. I said to him, man, you are free today. He was unsaved, but when he realized the power of the Lord in delivering him, he came to the services publicly acknowledged that he was a sinner, and the Lord saved him and baptized him. A few days later, I asked him, how are things going with you? He said, I'm delivered. God has given us power to bind and the power to loose. Set him free from the habit. Can you imagine that? Instantaneous deliverance from the power of alcohol and nicotine. Powerful drugs completely set free. Just by that state, by that use of that law, that spiritual law. The next one. In another place, a woman came to me and said, I have not been able to smell for 20 years. Can you do anything for me? I I said, you shall smell tonight. Could I give anybody that which had been lost for 20 years? Not of myself. But I remembered the rock on which God's church is built. The rock Christ Jesus and his promise to give his own the power to bind and loose. We can dare do anything if we know we have the word of God behind us. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I loose this woman. She ran all the way home. The table was full of good things, but she would not touch a thing. She said, I'm having a feast of smelling. Praise the Lord for the fact that he himself backs up his own word and proves the truth of it in these days of unbelief and apostasy. Now imagine that. <clears throat> she didn't even want to eat it. She just wanted to smell it. She hadn't smelled in 20 years powerful isn't that powerful this one the next one is even more so to God it's all the same but when we hear these things wow they become even more powerful to us because we're so bound by this natural world that we live in listen to this one another person came and said what can you do for me I've had 16 operations and have had my eardrums taken out I said God has not forgotten how to make eardrums i anointed her and prayed asking the lord that the eardrums should be replaced she was so deaf that i could not think she would have heard had a cannon gone off she was as deaf afterwards as it was possible to be but she saw other people getting healed and rejoicing has god forgotten to be gracious was his power just the same she came the next night and said i've come tonight to believe god he says take care you do not come any other way. I would pray for her again. Commanded the ears to be loosed in the name of Jesus. She believed and the moment she believed she heard. She ran and jumped upon a chair and began to preach. Later I let a pin drop and she heard it. God can give eardrums to ears. All things are possible with God. God can save the worst. So can you imagine recreating eardrums by the power of binding and loosing or just releasing it's by faith we overcome the world and what a challenge it is to rise up to a higher place of our spiritual walk with god now uh, the thing is when you say well my goodness why did god use him that way well you would have to read about his story in his life to know about it you see one day some fella came to his apartment where he was staying and he knocked on the door and when he knocked on the door, Wigglesworth opened up the door and he stood there dressed, he was from England, you know, dressed and I always dress up nice and even just to visit anytime. He said, um, what's that under your arm? He said, it's a newspaper. He said, well, you're welcome to come in, but you leave that newspaper out here on the step. You can't bring it in. He said, what? I don't, he says, the only thing that I want is the full truth. I don't want partial truth. I want the full truth. That's the way the man was. He's, God taught him how to read. He didn't know how to read. He f- learned to read the Bible, and that's all he could read. He didn't have a very good vocabulary. And if you listened to him, sometimes they thought they wondered, what's he even saying? And they said, when he began to preach, they had no idea where he was coming from or where he was going. But when the anointing hit him, look out. And we're talking about the the way God used him is just beyond words. As a matter of fact, in, in England, where he lived, it was mandatory that every person that died had an autopsy to find out what the problem was or what they died from. He said, no tight knife will ever touch my body in life or in death. That's what he said. He died At 87 years old, and this guy raised about 23 from the dead, imagine this, 23 he raised from the dead. Actually, people were nervous if he ever went to a funeral, like a wake, because he would pull the body off the table, actually did this one time, pulled the body off the table, put it against the corner of the wall, stood it up and said, walk in the name of Jesus. When the body slumped down, he picked it back up and just said, I told you to walk in Jesus' name, and the person came back to life. This is how mightily God used this individual. Think about that. Well, he died at 87 years old, and they took his body, and they were going to do an autopsy. Guess what? They were so impressed with his physique, his body, and even his teeth were all brand new. They said, we're not touching his body, and they didn't cut it. He said, in life or in death, will a knife ever cut my body? That's how God used Smith Bugglesworth. Pick up some of his books, read about him. I'll tell you what. You talk about being challenged, it'll challenge you. But he operated in this law. He knew, understood this law, binding and loosing. And the thing is, Jesus said we can do it. So when's the last time you bound the hand of Satan? Or you've loosed the power of God in your life and released his powers and abilities? Or set someone else free? I remember one time when um, this was downtown. This was when the church was still in Midland. And I was standing just like this behind the pulpit. We had finished the altar call and everybody's standing up and I'm praying just about praying the uh, prayer for us to leave. And all of a sudden I just stood there just for a moment and said, no, we can't close just yet. And I remember just saying, you foul spirit of fear that's holding whoever captive. I bind you in Jesus name and I release this person. You set her free or set him free. And, you know, sometimes you wonder, why did I say that? Why did I do that? The moment I did that, some young lady came from way in the back of the church, running to the altar, and said, I want to give my heart to Jesus. She accepted the Lord, and then she left. Afterwards, she came to me and said, You gave the altar call earlier than that, but I was glued to my pew. There was some unseen force. I was actually trying to get out of my pew to get up to the front. There was some unseen force that was holding me in the pew. And I couldn't move. But the moment you said, I bind you, I release you. It was like something just lifted. It lifted up and I was able to run. And I just ran so fast, I left my shoes in the pew. They were back there. And she didn't put them on. I didn't want to waste any time. And she ran to the altar and she got saved. Makes you kind of wonder, doesn't it? Not to your own natural carnal understanding, you're thinking, was that effective when I did it? But while you find these things out later, and why am I saying that? Because you can bind the hand of Satan that's, let's say, trying to bring destructive ways to your loved one's life. A child, a husband, a wife, whoever. Our battle is not with flesh and blood. It's the unseen forces of darkness. And they are the ones we have to deal with. Bind their activities. Release or loose. I remember another time. When uh, I had a Bible study. This was up at my dad's place. And someone at the end of that teaching. Said I've got a loved one that needs saved. And what we, we did was just use that law. Binding and loosing. I bound the spirit that was. Remember, the Bible says that people that are that are unsaved, they're surrounded by darkness, and darkness blinds their mind from receiving the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. I said, "You foul spirit that that binds or blinds rather this person's mind." I take authority over you in Jesus' name, and Father, I'm releasing right now labors of love, and I'm just releasing them to go to that person's life and minister Jesus to them next week. They came back and said, before we even begin, I just want to let you know. Just what we prayed. Someone who didn't even know him went to where he was and spoke to him about Jesus and he got born again. See, sometimes we're dealing with people when we should be dealing with spirits. It's the spirits that blind people's minds. We got to bind them. We got to stop their activities. And release people from their hold. So it's the darkness that's out there destroying people's lives. Now the next law is found in the next verse. Look at Matthew 18, 19. And that's the prayer or the law of agreement. For where two or three are gathered together in my name. Now I want verse 19. Can we back that up to verse 19? In verse 19, and again I say to you. I'm sorry, Matthew 18 and verse 19. Here he said, and if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father in heaven. That's the law of agreement. We'll get up there in just a moment. Sorry, I thought we were still in Matthew 18. Again, I say to you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. This is the law of agreement. So the law, first one is binding and loosing, and the second law is the law of agreement. If two people will agree, again I say to you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything they shall ask, it shall be done of them, of my Father which is in heaven. So, here's the law of agreement. Two people coming together and agreeing. It could be husband wife, it could be, uh, let's say a parishioner and a pastor, it could be any two people that are friends. If they come together in agreement on anything that they shall ask. Now remember that anything that they shall ask. Has got to be a part of our understanding of God's word. And his will for our lives. It's not just saying anything you want to say. It's finding out what the word says. And saying this is a promise of God. This is what God said. I believe it. And I want someone to agree with me. So that it can come to pass. And he said if you will do that. Then it will be done for you. By my father which is in heaven. So once again heaven will back it up. Now let's look at uh, the definition here to stand as one to agree means to stand as one to say the same thing to hold true what has been agreed upon so in other words when two people now it sounds easy like two people can easily agree but it's not that easy because these two people have to be in sync these two people have to be united they have to be in harmony One can't think one way and the other think the other way and say you're applying the law of agreement. It doesn't work that way. You have got to agree. You've got to say the same thing, believe the same thing. For example, someone can't say, I believe I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. Would you agree with me? And the person they're asking to agree with them is someone who thinks that, yeah, I'll agree with you. But in their own thinking, in their own mind, they're thinking, if it be his will. So you have someone agreeing with you who doesn't really agree or believe the way you believe. They have their own belief system, but they're still going to say, well, yeah, I'll agree with you. That doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. These two people have got to believe the same way, think the same way, speak the same way. And to be honest with you, it's better to have somebody who's not so closely attached to the situation to agree with you. Because they're not going to be bombarded with all the the, uh, emotions that are involved or with all the circumstances that are involved. You need to get somebody who you know believes the way you believe and they stand in agreement with you. And what does that do? It creates synergy. Agreement synergy. And that means the working together of two things to produce an effect greater than the sum of the individual parts. What do you mean by that? You take two horses. One can pull 1,000 pounds. The other one can pull 1,200 pounds. Combined, you would think they can pull 2,200 pounds. No. Combined, they can pull 2,700 pounds. Well, how is that possible? 1,000 and 1,200, that's 2,200. Where did the the other 500 pounds come from? Synergy. People working together. One can chase 1,000, two can do what? 10,000. That's 10 times greater force is created in the spiritual realm when people come together in agreement. But once again, they have to be united. They have to agree. They have to speak the same thing, mind the same thing. So if you want a prayer partner to agree with you about something, make sure it's somebody you know believes the way you believe, has the same spirit of faith that you have, and they will believe it from the heart, they will say it with the mouth, and they're not going to back off of it. But also, like I said, they're not going to be challenged or tempted by the situation because they don't have the emotions involved like you do. And I had this happen and shared it with individuals. actually had to tell a husband that you're not a good agreeing partner with your wife you're just not and that's okay get somebody else to agree with you because you see as long as you're tied up and involved in the emotional part of it you're going to be tempted to release doubt and unbelief and not stay in faith but if you've got somebody who's not challenged by the emotions and they stand firm with you Praise God, you're going to see God work in a powerful way. And we see this illustrated in Exodus chapter 17. Look at these verses. You remember the story of Aaron and her and Moses? <clears throat> it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he, when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed as they were in battle. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon. And Aaron And her stayed up his hands. The one on the one side. And the other on the other side. And his hands were steady. Until the going down of the sun. Now you've got these people coming together in agreement. You can see Moses as long as he was standing alone. As long as his hands were up. They were winning the battle. But the moment he became, became what? Weary. And you know what? Anybody can get weary. When you're standing in faith. You're tempted to get weary. Are we not? But when you have someone like an Aaron on this side. And a her on that side. And holding your hands up. In other words. They are. your agreeing partners. And they're standing firm with you. You're creating a force that is beyond anything you can do yourself. And so now you've got all that power at work for you. And it's working in a dy- that dynamic way. And what's it producing? Victory. And they overcame And they won the battle. So can you imagine when you get a congregation of people coming together. And believing for the same thing. Minding the same thing. Do you want to see in this upcoming year a greater move of God among us? Do you want to see God's power and manifestation in a greater and more powerful way? Do we want to see days of heaven on this earth right here among us? Praise God. We're going to begin our fast January I think the 3rd maybe. For 21 day maybe a Daniel fast or something like that. And get everybody to pick a day and pick as much time as you want. We want to start this new year surrendering our hearts to God and letting Him know we want you to set the course for the year, for our lives in this ministry. We want you to move among us with great power and might. We want your will to be done, not our will to be done. And so we're coming before you to let you know that we're surrendered to you. We want to cleanse ourselves before you. We want to put spirit above the flesh. We want to see to it that there's a greater anointing in this place. As we yield to the Holy Ghost. And if everyone would just come together. Maybe we'll put a chart up there. Someone take a day for those 21 days. Someone take a day so that someone is fasting for those first 21 days in January. So that God can know that we're humbling ourselves, praying, seeking his face and turning from things that displease him to things that will honor and glorify him. Because when you're humble before the Lord, what will he do? Lift you up. Amen. Praise God. So we'll let you know about that. Now, the key is to believe and speak the same thing. Now, the next law is the law of divine presence. The law, look at verse 20 now. In Matthew 18, verse 20. The law of divine presence. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Look at those six words. Say them with me. In my name, there am I. Say it again. In my name, there am I. You know what that means? Have we gathered in his name? He is here can you imagine if we just took a moment to say you're here Jesus you're here oh I know you're here you see we're only going to be more aware of it as we proclaim it I know you're here I know you're here because we've gathered in your name and in your name there am I you said and so now I know you're here And where your presence is, there's fullness of joy. Look in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse, uh, I'm sorry, 3 and verse 17. Now where the spirit of the Lord is, the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's what? You are here. You are here making me free. Jesus, you're here. Your presence is here. Your power is here. Your peace is here. Your presence that dispels the darkness is right here. I acknowledge it. See, the more we acknowledge it and recognize it, declare it, confess it, the more real it becomes. I know you're here. I know you're here. Uh, next verse. Look at the Romans chapter 8 and verse 11. If the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, dwell in you where is he dwelling in me in you in us he that raised up christ from the dead shall quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you where the presence of the lord is there is a quickening a quickening you say but i want to experience that all we have to do is acknowledge it it's a law the law of divine presence you know where the presence of the lord is there's freedom there's liberty where the presence of the lord is demons tremble Fear flees. Sickness and disease must bow its knee. Think about that. Where the presence of the Lord is. Well, where is His presence? See, too often people think that church is religion. We go to church and we have church. No, you are the church. I am the church. We are the body of Christ collectively, but also individually. And the presence of the Lord is in every single one of us. And if we want that presence to work its work in our lives, to quicken our bodies, all we have to do is acknowledge it. Jesus, I know you're in me. Jesus, I know you're delivering me. Because where your presence is, there's liberty. Jesus, I know you're setting me free right now. I'm thanking you for setting me free. Can you imagine if we just took some time of the day and just paced around the house Jesus you're in me Jesus you're alive in me Holy Spirit you're quickening my mortal body I acknowledge your divine presence in me right here and right now and I know that you're going to work through me Wigglesworth one time was on a, on, on a train and as he was walking through the aisle he said all of a sudden people just ran to him and got on their knees and said Your presence convicts me of my sin. Can you imagine that? And he prayed for them and led them to Jesus. Imagine that. Your presence. We're carrying the presence of God. We are God's temple. His holy temple. His mobile home unit on planet earth. Everywhere you go, he goes. Is he in you? He sure is. And everywhere you go, he goes. You see, it's becoming more conscious. God conscious. He's living in me. And praise God, I'm acknowledging it. Then look at this. In 1 Samuel 5, here we have his presence brings the enemy down. You want the enemy brought down? Well, let me ask you this. If it's true that if we acknowledge his presence in us, that his presence does a positive work in our lives, what happens if all we do is talk about the devil this and the devil that and talk that way? What does that invite? The work of evil. You're snared by the words of your mouth. You're taken captive by the words of your mouth. Death and life from the power of the tongue. Beloved, this message of faith has revolutionized my life. It's responsible for saving the lives of many of my family members. And I'll tell you what, it's just, I don't have enough words to to be so thankful to God to let him know how much I appreciate giving the revelation to me to other people that have lived before me so that I can operate in these blessed truths. Okay, here. And the Philistines took the Ark of God. And what's the Ark of God represent? The presence of God, right? And brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. When the Philistines took the Ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And when they of Ashdod arose early on the morrow, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the earth before the Ark of the Lord. And they took Dagon... Dagon is the fish god. They have many other different gods. You have to understand, these people worship all kind of gods. And as far as they were concerned, it was just another idol. The ark was just another idol. Okay? So there, all these idols, they're there in that cave where they kept them all. But now they got the ark next to the fish god, Dagon, and set him in his place again. And when they rose early on the morrow morning, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord, and the head of Dagon... And both the palms of his hands were cut off upon the threshold, only the stump of Dagon was left to him. Therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor any that come into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod unto this day. Because where the presence of the Lord is, the enemy is brought down. And where is the presence of the Lord? In every single one of us. See God wants us to recognize that blessed truth. Because the enemy is defeated already by Jesus. And it's up to us to start acknowledging, proclaiming, confessing, declaring, decreeing. Through these laws the truth. And the truth is that sets us free. Greater is he, the presence of God in us. Than he that is in this world the enemy. And where the presence of the Lord is, there's liberty, there's victory, there's deliverance. He is actively at work in every one of our lives if we just proclaim it. So now here's the thing. You've got a, a loved one that's out there, maybe a child that's out there that's wavered, that's not walking with God. You bind the hand of the spirit that is harassing your loved one, harassing your child... And declare it bound in Jesus' name. You release labors of love by the Holy Spirit to surround your loved one. So that everywhere they go, someone comes up to them and tells them about Jesus. Or reminds them, if they've been saved already, of the God that they serve. And you know what? You just sit back and start thanking God and let God do His part. God will do His part. I believe that many. Here's the thing about the faith message. Many situations have been averted. Because people have prayed this way. Or believed this way. People are wanting to see things. Well remember. Facts. Faith feelings. We walk by faith. Not by sight. Would you rather see. Someone who was in a car accident. Be healed. Or would you rather know. The car accident was prevented. And you saw nothing. What would you rather have? No accident? By declaring every day the word of the Lord. In faith. What happens is. We set in motion divine laws. No evil shall befall me. Any plague can not my dwelling. Angels have charge over me. To keep me in all my ways. They bear me up in their hands as I dash my foot against a stone. In my pathway is life and there is no death. I've shared this with you about my daughter. It bears repetition here tonight. When she jumped out of that car and she went run right across the street. I had my, out of my peripheral vision and she just jumps out and she's going that way. I just saw a car coming from that way. A truck actually, about 55 mile an hour, speeding down the, high, down the road. And because she saw her girlfriend across the, across the street. And she was running over to see her. Just darted out without even looking. And I just was like this. And went like this. Didn't even see her. And somehow my hand connected to her wrist. And I pulled her back like that. And the truck went speeding by. And the moment she hit the car. My car. And she hit it pretty hard because I jerked her back like that. The Holy Ghost to me said, in your pathway's life and there is no death. My daughter would have died that day. People don't want to believe the faith message. I say this every day. In my pathway's life, there's no death. In my pathway's life, there is no death. And at that time, I'm responsible for that little girl. In my pathway's life, and there is no death. I cannot tell us all how valuable speaking the word over your life is. And you know what? I would rather avert the need for a miracle. I'd rather avert the problem so I don't need a miracle than to say I need to see something happen. I'd rather just walk by faith and not by sight. Wouldn't you love to see those big, robust angels? When I first came here years ago, 37 years ago, and I'm walking downtown Midland, I'm carrying groceries home. We had a little IGA across the street. I've got one kid in one arm, one kid in the other. I've got, I'm, I'm just loaded down. I'm walking home. And all of a sudden, uh, after some time of being there, just a little bit, someone asked one of our parishioners, how come your pastor has to walk through town with those two big bodyguards? Who does he think he is? And the fellow said, my pastor doesn't have a bodyguard. Don't tell me I saw two of them, one on one side, one on the other side, and they were big right by his side as he walks through town. My pastor doesn't have bodyguards. He's big enough on his... No, he's. <laughs> I told you that he, he saw angels. And then another one, when he was a young boy, never saw where I lived. His mother brought him the first time coming to church. So And now I, she showed him the church and said, now I'm going to show you where the pastor lives. And they just turned coming down to Penn, Penn Avenue where I lived on that street. He didn't know where it was. He said, Mom, would that be the house right over there where the pastor lives? And she said, yeah, how would you know? Well, I saw those two angels up on top just kind of floating around up there and I thought that might be his house. She just What? Yeah, I saw those angels up there, and I assumed that might be his house. She said, you're right, that's his house. Angels unawares. Be certain to entertain strangers, because in so doing, you might entertain angels unawares. I'll tell you what, it's a blast to live by faith. It really is. Oh, I know you're going to be challenged, but it's a blast. You know, I don't want to put anybody down as far as preachers are concerned and all that. My goal is not to get you to the altar. My goal is to get God in you. And get you directly to God. I believe my responsibility is to put faith in you. Put the word in you. I talked to someone just today. And she said, I was starting to go to this church. And, you know, and, and, I, and the pastor, he, she said, I finally just had to leave. Because his sermons were like this. He would get a verse from the Bible. He would read it. And then he would go around the congregation and says, what does that mean to you? what does that mean to you what's that mean to you what's that mean to you and never taught us anything i know what it means to me but aren't you supposed to teach us something doesn't the bible say that pastors are to do what feed the flock of god right preach the word be instant in season right that's our responsibility to feed the word. That's why that's been my, my desire. Just to feed the truth. To teach. To feed. Because my goal is not to get you. I went to a Pentecostal church. Where the only thing was. To get you to altar. If I can make you feel as bad. As I can make you feel. Then you're going to have to run up to the altar. And I'm going to pray for you. I'm not your savior. He's your savior. And I'm not supposed to browbeat you. With guilt and condemnation. I'm supposed to instill faith in your heart and let you know who you are in Christ and what you have in him so you can rise up when you leave that pew and you get inside your car and you face a real situation you can stand there and just say the greater one is living in me I can go directly to the throne of almighty God my heart full of, uh, full of faith and assurance a pure heart praise God believing that God will hear me when I call upon his name that's my goal praise God can you say amen Hallelujah. Well, let's all stand together before the Lord. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound and through a life of worship bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others.